0: Hey, good evening, good to see you. Hi. my My name's Daniel. I am the guy from the video. You may have seen me in the video uh, earlier this evening. Uh, Great video, by the way, made by our very own guitarist here, Mike Bertuzzi. He can play guitar. He can make videos. We had a great time. So good to be with you. I'm on staff here at the church. I work part time, studied my my master's part time. So I'm what's called a pastoral intern, uh, which is like a pastor with training wheels. So I'm almost there. You know, a couple of years, maybe I'll have the training wheels off. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, this evening, we're going to be beginning our series. And the series is on Jesus. Uh, if you've been with us for the last couple of years, uh, we talk about Jesus a lot, but we've been working through stuff that's topical sermons where we pick an idea, uh, like we did the modern romance one, and we work through a, a series of topics and we find passages that try to speak to that topic. And we've also worked through entire books expositionally where we look at each passage like we did in Colossians a little while back. Uh, But Andy and myself have just been feeling like, man, we just need to get back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so this evening, we're going to begin again in this series. And we're going to begin at the beginning. So if you spend any time with me, you'll probably get the sense I'm kind of a cynic. And there's certain things that give me, like, they're like pet peeves. Anyone here can relate to some sort of pet peeves? Let me uh, give a couple of them to you. The first one is hiking. (laughs) Not a huge hiker, I'm going to be honest. Oftentimes, people will be like, hey, we're going on a hike uh, this weekend. Do you want to come with me? And I'll look them straight in the face and say, nope. (laughs) Honestly, I don't. They're like, well, come on, it's so much fun. It's, it's, you get activity, you know, you get to see the view at the end. I said, you don't see anything. You stare at the ground the entire time so you don't trip over things, and you get to the top, and you're like, that's a nice view, but I mean, couldn't we have driven up to the top of the hill or something, you know, and, and enjoyed our time and relaxed? So um, for me, like, I'll go hiking because I enjoy being with the people, but I just don't love uh, hiking in general. Another pet peeve of mine is the Christian radio station. Praise 106.5, okay? Now, look, I need to say I love Praise 106.5, but there's times where I listen to Praise 106.5 and I just want to start breaking commandments. Are you with me? I just, like anger comes up inside of me, and the person they're talking about, they're saying, you know, it's so uplifting and encouraging, and we have a caller coming in right now, and let's just hear from them. While I was just in the car, and my, my daughter was... She was crying, and then Michael W. Smith came on, <gasps> and, and his soothing voice calmed my daughter, and God is just moving in this vehicle right now, and it's like, click. I just, I can't do it. The reason I just don't love the Christian radio station is I just, I have a hard time with how I, Jesus is often presented in the Christian radio station. He's presented as this loving, long-flowing Jesus who's just comforting people and kind of floating from place to place. You know? and, in, and in many ways, Jesus is that. He is loving. He's caring. He is uh, like meek and mild. We have all these descriptions of him. We also have descriptions of Jesus where it's like he's a construction worker who said a lot of stuff, um, got murdered for it, and then came back. And it's like, oh, I get it. Yeah, it's a little different. Construction worker, right. Carpenter. That's a joke, but that's fine. Hey. So this series, our goal is to try and explore the person of Jesus uh, in a way that, that magnifies his entire personhood. We're going to see the good, but we're also going to see stuff that's like, wow, I did not know Jesus was like that, and that kind of blows my mind, but we want to be challenged to think holistically about the person of Jesus, so we're going to be doing that with his birth, his ministry, his death, and then we're actually going to be also talking about his resurrection. So this evening, I mentioned, we're going to start at the beginning. We're going to be looking at John one, not Genesis one, all right? But we're going to be looking at John 1, and I want to be looking at this under two headings. The first one is this: We're going to ask two questions. What is the word? And then, what does this mean for us? What is the word? And what does that mean for us? I don't have three points. I've got two. What? Two questions. What is the word? What does that mean for us? So, look, let me start reading. John chapter 1. I'm going to read the whole thing to verse 14, and we'll begin. John chapter 1 In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So, what is the Word? If we look at John chapter 1, verse 1, we see this again and again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So what I want to do is kind of take us on a a philosophical mind journey here because there's a few different ways to be thinking about this. What John is doing is he's intentionally interacting with various different ideologies that have existed over the history of time. So we're going to begin with trying to define what this word is. In the Greek, the word word is actually the word logos. And some people will say there's debate whether it's called logos or, or logos or logos. Just for the sake of my sanity, I'm just going to say logos. All right? But this idea of the logos is essentially this. The Greeks believed that there is this impersonal intelligence, this impersonal essence, and this impersonal just out-there-ness that exists outside of our mortal bodies. It's kind of like the force from Star Wars. This is an impersonal thing out there, and your soul, the goal of your soul, is to move from this body... And re-become one with the essence, with the logos, with that intelligence that is out there. That is the entire purpose of your life. So the Greeks would talk about, you know, this body is a cage. This body is chaos, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to reach back to order. You're, you're trying to, to, not Mordor, order. You're trying, to, you're trying to go to order. So you're leaving this chaotic body, and through your, your mind and coming to grips with yourself, you will eventually ascend to the Logos and become this one being. So oftentimes when you hear people talk about, they, they might say, I, I believe in the universe, and that when I die, I will just kind of become again with the universe, that is often a way that spiritual people will talk. They're identifying with this idea of the Logos, and you see this throughout tons of different religions, throughout history. I must ascend, leave this this cage, this bad body, and ascend to order, to good, to the Logos, to this essence that is above me. And so, I, I mean, I mentioned Star Wars. If you wasted your time and saw Star Wars The Last Jedi, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to ruin the ending for you. Luke Skywalker goes, and just vanishes. And the idea is he kind of moves into this Logos. He's ascended to this, this heightened state of acceptance of who he is and acceptance with the world being bad. He ascends and becomes one with the force. And so this is something that a lot of people, they believe. The idea that when you finally leave your body, Then you'll be free. Freedom comes when you leave the bad body and become one with the logos. So fast forward another few years. It becomes another side of this. Uh, We move into enlightenment thinking. And the whole purpose of enlightenment thinking is this. We, We can't know for sure this kind of spiritual essence out here. like That is so subjective to everybody. What we should be using to mark the standards of our life is science and the understanding of the physical. So, if any of you guys grew up in public school, you might know what this is. (laughs) And you knew it was gonna be a good day when you saw that, right? gets wheeled in, you're sitting down, teacher says, we're gonna watch a science movie. B- Bill Nye, the science guy, right? And the whole class, Bill, 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 right? And we're watching Bill Nye, the science guy. And we've been taught this through through, all, through our whole life, right? That all that exists is science and the hard facts. And so for this point of view, on the other end, you have the the spiritual person. You kind of have the, you know, the the science person. Some people would say they're atheists. Maybe they're just skeptical. they say, all I can know is the physical. And so rather than focus on the non-physical, I need to escape the non-physical. That's bad. And just accept the cold, hard fact that all that there is, is the physical. And that's when I'll be free that's when I will actually kind of come to that understanding, and that's true freedom, is understanding that you have this physical body. All of that, maybe that'll help you if you're feeling bad, this idea in believing in a spiritual thing, but all we can know for sure is that there is the physical, so just come to grips with it, all right? Stop wasting your time on religion. Just live in the now. Live um, as best you can for today. So there's two ideas that come out of this. So as we look at this passage in John, John begins to interact with them. And by the way, both of these ideologies, the spiritual person and the the skeptic, the physical world person, uh, they're actually two sides of the same coin. And that coin is, you flip it, you're at the center. So it's my job to come to this understanding and, and eventually move into the Logos Flip the coin. It's my job to just actually understand and, and realize that I'm at the center. All that matters is my physical life and I'm just going to live my life and I'll die and, uh, and that's it. But John will interact with both of these ideas in this passage, and it's enormously profound. So here we go. Let me read to you what John says. John Chapter 1, verse 1 to 5, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through, th- through Him, all things were made. Without him, was made uh, was, without him, nothing was made that had been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of man- all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome Him. What, what John is saying, in a nutshell, is he's, he's actually affirming the Logos person over here. He's saying, you guys are right to believe that there's something out there. You, you believe who the, there's some sort of spiritual essence and belief out there? That's true. It's true. But it's much more than you thought it was originally. So I'm going to affirm this, but I'm going to challenge you in this that it is way more than you originally thought. This Logos is not un- impersonal. This Logos is a person It's a being. It's a person that actually you can know. So you you, you can actually know this Logos. And more than that, it's way more powerful than you actually think. It's the creator of the universe. Unmatched power, unmatched ability to do whatever the Logos wants in the universe. And we also see that this Logos is in relationship with what seems to be other persons. And what he's alluding to is the Trinity. You have the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Logos. And as we'll see, the Logos is the third member of the Trinity. It's Jesus. So you have these three things that have existed throughout all of time in perfect relationship with one another. And uh, if you were familiar with with the biblical text, maybe like Genesis 1 I mentioned at the beginning, in the beginning God, you know, he separates light from dark. And John's actually alluding to that right now. He's saying, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, well, the logos was there creating the heavens and the earth, separating light from dark. And this logos is so powerful that you can't even bear to be near it. You can't even bear to know it. Listen to this verse here. This is from 1 Timothy 6, verses 15 to 16. Paul writes God the blessed and only ruler the king of kings the lord of lords who alone is immortal and gives uh, who lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see to him be the honor and might forever. And so this is something that's called the theology of glory. God is so magnificent that you can't be near him. You can't look at him. It's he's too far and what John is saying is, even if you try to a- ascend to this level, you don't even come close to this unmatched ability and power. The Logos is a person that you can know. And so then John will keep moving, as he keeps writing, and he'll say uh, he he shares about John the Baptist, who uh, every year uh, my family we used to watch a-, a Christmas movie on Christmas Eve. And uh, I just didn't love watching the Christmas movie. I just wanted to go to sleep. Because when you go to sleep, then you can wake up earlier and the presents are there. And uh, so we'd, we'd watch Christmas movies. And one of the ones we often watched was a movie called The Nativity, which was a live-action one of Jesus' birth. In it, there is the story of uh, Zechariah who goes into the temple. And God essentially takes away his voice until, and he says, you're going to have a son whose name, you're going to name him John. Okay, and uh, so this son will happen, and so he comes out of the temple, he's completely mute, and he's walking around, and everyone's like, what did God say? (laughs) You know, tell us what he said! So he he can write stuff down, and so all of a sudden, he's really old, and his wife's really old, now his wife's pregnant, and then uh, they have a baby, and he's like, John. (laughs) His first words, John. So... Uh, he, uh, so he, this is the story of John the Baptist here and he continues, he says there was a man sent from God whose name was John he came to witness and testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe and he himself was not the light he came only as a witness to that light the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world he was in the world and though the world was made through him the world did not recognize him he came to that which was his own But his own did not receive him, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be born children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And so uh, what this is all saying, it's actually kind of setting up what's going to happen because you're going to meet John the Baptist later on, who's going to be the one who baptizes Jesus. But John's role was to be the one to to usher in this, this logos. And so you get to Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What is John saying here? He's saying that this logos, this essence, this spiritualness that exists out there has become a person, has entered physical time, So he's left the spiritual essence, and he's become this physical person. That's what we call, in in big Christian language, the incarnation. God becomes man. And so we see in the person of Jesus, someone who is fully God and fully man. 100% God, 100% man. 200%, okay? So these are things, if you don't affirm that, you're committing a heresy. And so this is something the church has believed for a number of years. We have this weird mystery of God being 100% God and 100% man in the person of Jesus. So the Logos is a person you can now know. Now think about this for a second. This ultimate supreme being, the Logos, comes down in the most vulnerable way ever as a little child, and what does that mean if you're, if you're a mortal person? It means that for the first time ever, this, this God can be killed. Now, that's kind of weird. This God can feel pain. This God has human limitations. And so John is actually affirming two sides here. He's saying there's something deeply uh, spiritual going on, there's something deeply physical going on in the person of Jesus. Now, I want to remind you of a story that happens in uh, the book of Exodus. If you've read through the book of Exodus, you might know the guy, Moses. At one point, Moses leaves Egypt, and they, they make it across the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is wiped up by the, the, ocean, the Red Sea, swallowing up his army. And now he, he goes up onto the mountain to hear from God. And as he's interceding for his people, he says, Let me, let me talk to you, God. Let, let me see your face. And God says something super interesting. He says, If I show you my face you will die. You can't handle that. The glory, right? The theology of glory, you, John, like Moses, you actually won't survive seeing me. I'm just too holy. I am too magnificent for you. Now contrast that to this moment here where now that same God has become a physical person. What does that mean? That means that if you lived in that time, you could walk up to God himself shake his hand. You could, you could eat with him. You could laugh with him. Physical. This, this unapproachable God becomes a physical God. He comes down to our level. I love how St. Athanasius says this. He was one of the early church fathers. He said that man before had been looking to the skies. Right? They'd been looking to the Logos, trying to understand it, trying to know it. And, and we've, they've fallen away. And now man just looks ahead. So what does God do? He condescends a human being, and now you look at God face-to-face, the fullness of God face-to-face right in front of you. Now, just pause for a minute. Think about, think about that. Before, you know, it's, it's easy to, to, like, picture God and we think he's distant, but now when he's there in front of you, that should change the way you live. Like, you have to respond to that there's a response that comes when, when you're interacting with the physical. There's a famous story when I'm trying to understand why God would come down uh, by Soren Kierkegaard. And he tells, he says, suppose there's a great king who is just so mighty and so powerful. People um, like, cannot stand up to this king. At a word of his mouth, he can, he can send you um, off the face of the earth. And this mighty, mighty king, no one dare contradict him, no one dare stand up to him so powerful, so mighty, so strong, he falls in love with uh, this, this woman who is a peasant in one of the towns that is part of his kingdom. Now, he loves her, but he's, he wonders, how am I supposed to get her to love me? Because if, if I show up with, my, with all my riches and all my, my, my armies and stuff, she's probably going to feel inclined to say Yes. If he confessed her love to her, uh, she would say, yeah, maybe she would live in the castle and live in, but would she really love him, or is she marrying him for the things? And he would never really know. I mean, he has so much power, he could just say, you're going to love me, and then, uh, like, but would she really love him? And so he gets the idea. He says, I'm going to dress up like a peasant, too. And he goes to her, and he wins her love. And then he reveals himself to her after he knows um, that they're in love. And so the idea here, this is a good image of actually what Jesus does when he comes down to in the incarnation. So now you have this God who was unapproachable before now becomes approachable face to face. You can know him. Like how um, Michael Horton writes this, but before I say that, look, this is what we call the, the theology of the cross is that God condescends and comes down to us. So, as the great philosopher Hannah Montana says, you get the best of both worlds, okay? You get the unapproachable God, and you get a physical God together in the first person. And this fixes our relationship. And this shows us that we're not the center of this. Jesus is the center of this. Jesus Christ himself, the God-man, is the center. I like how Michael Horton says this. He says, a God who eludes our comprehending gaze, who masters but is never master, is a terrifying prospect for the fallen heart until Christ steps forward as our mediator. This theology of glory says, God is too grand, we can't get to him, it's too much. And the theology of the cross says, that grand God came to us and now wants to know us, and that's too much. It's, that, should, that should overwhelm you. And so, as we look at the person of Jesus, this is what we're seeing. This incarnation means that, that this unapproachable God is a man, physical. That's the logos. That's what it means when it's talking about the word. God himself as a man. So what does this mean to us, just really practically, just as we close off here? This means that if you're a spiritual person, this means that God... That that essence, that, that thing that you've seen out there, that you believe is out there and you can't really explain it, is much more magnificent, is much more powerful, is much more terrifying than you have ever imagined. At all moments, that Logos, who is the creator, is sustaining every second of your life. Yet this Logos, this spiritual essence, wants to know you. So it's more than just trying to ascend this, this Logos wants to know you. And if you're the person here tonight who's the skeptic, who uh, is, isn't sure about spirituality, isn't sure about God, this passage is for you too because God has become a man and now he stands in front of you. He's a physical human being. And so, for one, you're going to have to, to make a decision here about how, how am I going to think about this historical figure who clearly lived and clearly did some weird things. Okay, walked on water, healed blind people. He, he, made the, the, he, he restored people's sight from the blind. And if you talk to people who are from Africa, from the Eastern world, they'll talk and say these things still happen. So there are light rays that are magnetic things that we can't detect yet. We know they're out there. And the question is, is it, isn't it possible that maybe there is more outside of that? And what I love about Jesus is he shows he has command over all the physical. He's com- complete control over it, complete command. And yet, he wants to know you. He wants to, to, to come to you, and, and he wants to be in relationship and restore relationship and restore the emptiness that you feel. Now, if you're a believer here tonight, there's, there's two things that this teaches us. The first one is that you no longer need to work your way to God. You, you, we can fall inside of this, this weird pattern where we think that we have to justify ourselves, I don't know, through our job, through how, how great we're doing in life, right? How many good things have I done? How many grandmas have I walked across the street today or helped with groceries? Um, am I telling the truth? Am I living to this standard and trying to work my way to God? And as we've just seen, you will never get to that height, to that magnificent glory. You never will. But God came down to you to know you. And so, as we see in the incarnation, is God himself who has come to restore the relationship, and he does so, as we'll see, by dying for you on the cross, so that you can now have right relationship with God, and then from there, have right relationship with one another. What this also means, though, incorporating both of these things, is that we can actually come to Jesus for comfort. What do I mean by that? I mean that Jesus is the great comforter because he's walked through every single thing and pain that we've walked through. Jesus has felt loneliness. The God-man has felt loneliness before. He's felt hunger. The God-man knows what it's like to be in pain. A couple days ago, like on Wednesday, we had a prayer night, and there was like 500 people here praying uh, for Livia, praying for Paige, and praying for uh, the Dylan family. And it was honestly just incredible incredible to behold. Like it was amazing. And Brielle, who is one of the friends of Livia, came up and shared. She said, because Jesus died on the cross, he can actually relate to the pain that Livia is in right now and the pain that Paige is in. And and all of you here who are who are calling out and and crying to God for in your prayers and your prayers, and it feels like your prayers are being denied. Brielle brought up the point that. Jesus had a prayer that was denied. Jesus had a prayer that was turned down. When he's in the garden, and he's about to go to the cross, and he says, God, take this cup from me. God says no. Now, think about that for a minute. God rejects God's prayer. And if you think about there's that eternal relationship between the Trinity, that is one of the, the, the most deep rejections that could ever be experienced. God has now rejected God. That eternal relationship has been put on hold. So, whatever you are going through, you can actually go to Jesus and give that to him because he understands. He's the great comforter. And we say that people who are are the best counselors are those who have often walked through these dark times. And this is what Jesus has done for us. So, don't you see how Jesus is much more grand and amazing than we could have originally thought? I mean, that's the whole point of this. That's the whole point of the incarnation. He's much greater than we could have ever imagined. And he's more real than you could have ever thought. Amen. Come on. <laughs> Look, let me pray for us. And then we're going to move into a time of communion. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the incarnation. And thank you for the person of Christ. Lord, we are um, people who are far off. And those who, um, who call upon your name can now know you. And so I ask that you be our comforter and we know that you are. And Lord, we can come to you because you understand, you get it. And yet we can come to you because you are powerful. And I ask that if we are someone here today who doesn't know you, that we we would actually consider this. Those who are not yet a Christian, that they would consider this and want to know more about who you are. Father, we love you. And we praise your name. And everybody said... Amen.